0: We in Southern California, going back 10 to 15 years, are at this point moving towards being on life support. Um, And what I would like to do this morning after having some extensive talks with Dr. Montoya, President Wilson, um, is, is kind of not talk so much over the heads of us in kind of preaching philosophically. But I, I just want to maybe have more of a family room moment where we, you know, we take off all the branding and take off all the big tricks and the, and the gimmicks and the titles and the taglines and the screens and the signs. And we just, we get really, really honest together about how we're doing, uh, as a Bible church, specifically regional. Um, because as Dr. Bargas has mentioned, uh, you know, there, there are some places around the country where bible churches are, are are growing. But if we, you know, strip away all of the fluff and just have some moments together here this morning, the goal will be to say we're we're the last decade not doing all that well. And I don't know if I've heard that said publicly. I don't know, I've heard it said by all of us privately. I don't know if we've ever had anyone stand up and say, you know, we're you know, we're slowly Breathing on a ventilator, and soon that ventilator plug is going to get pulled, and there's not going to be much left. Now, to be honest, that's typical for movements. If you study history at all, that's typical for organizations. You get about a four, a quad generational run uh, for a movement. There's a generation that fights for something because something needed to be fought for, there's a generation um, that will fancy I forgot you, Ryan Day. Ryan Day from San Juan Capistrano. There's a generation that will then fancy what was fought for um, by the generation that began the movement. They kind of live in the overflow of it. Then there's a generation that begins to fade because there really is nothing left to fight for, and they're living off what was built before them. And then eventually there's a fourth generation where things are forgotten entirely. We're, after 75 to 80 years, not even understanding the fights that the modernists have had and that we had against the modernists, and then the inerrancy of scripture, we're by and large now holding on to an, a third to fourth generation moment where things have faded and now we're either going to forget about it and an entire millennial generation is going to grow up and go, IFCA, I don't really know much about that, never heard about that. Maybe it's another, um, you know, maybe it's another acronym, uh, for a Costco brand or something, or we're going to have to go back and start fighting again. And we're going to have to say it's time to stand up for biblical truth in Southern California again. And that's where we're going to be in talking about a little bit this morning. And and I, in the talks I've had with most of you, um, you know, and, and especially with Pre- President Wilson, uh, you know, if we just get really honest, many of our men are active in our regional. Uh, I think Dr. Montoya and I were sitting there and, and he's amazing. His mind, I mean, he, he like knows everyone. He's naming like 35 different churches and then, you know, usually at a regional, we've got maybe ten to twelve that are still represented. Uh, and in talking to Dr. Wilson, many of our churches are down to just a few members. Uh, many of our men are are coasting, you know, towards the end of their their run. Existentially, I don't think any of us would say that, but but existentially, we're we're, we're starting to coast. Uh, we're in the fourth quarter of our life. Um, and then many of our properties are being sold back to the devil, meaning, in quote, back to condo developers or for other churches. I mean, we're actually selling off footprints of land that we've held for the glory of God for a while. And we're giving that back. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit here to end as to why that's happening, because it's real stuff. It's honest stuff. Um, it's life stuff. And, uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about that and see if we can't come out of here this morning with a game plan.
1: And say, what can we do to, to take a shot? And what it's gonna come down to is we gotta take a step of faith.
0: We gotta step back out in faith again, and we gotta fight again for something. We gotta care again. We gotta bleed again.
1: And that's where we're, we're,
0: we're headed. I mean, when I, in sports, they call it a, you know, a, a Hail Mary in football. Uh, in the military, Ryan, you can help us with this. Uh, they, they, they talk about a last stand. Uh, in when I was playing ball growing up, you know, in basketball in college, we had like red defense, which was a full court press, which meant if we're down by 20 in the fourth quarter, we're going to come out, we're going to press and we're going to press you full court, 90 feet, the whole rest of the way. And either we're going to lose by 80 or we're going to come back and we're going to win. Uh, in in finance, they call it going for broke. It's the idea that when you you really have nothing left to lose, you go for it all and you put it on the table and you fight again. And I think I get the feeling that if we were to go back 3,000 years or maybe one day in heaven and talk to Samuel, assuming that Samuel was the one who who, who, who wrote this wonderful book for Samuel, that he would use a term that I'm calling climb the crag. If you were to talk to Samuel and we would call it going for broke uh, or we would call it throwing the Hail Mary or taking a last stand, he would say it's climbing the crag. That's what I call it. And of course, that's derived from 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, And that'll be our text for a few moments this morning. If you have your Bibles turned there, in fact, why don't we do this? Let's stand for the reading of God's word and let's take a cursory read through 1 Samuel 14. Just follow along with me uh, as I read through uh, most of the chapter. So we get kind of a run up on the story. It's, it's now the day came that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who was carrying his armor come and let us cross over to the Philistine's garrison uh, that's on the yonder side but he did not tell his father Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahithab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on one side and a sharp crag on the other side and the name of the one was bozaz and the name of the other Sina. the one crag rose to the north opposite nichmash and the other crag on the south opposite giba and jonathan said to the armor man who was carrying his armor come let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised perhaps the lord will work for us for the lord is not restrained to save by many or by few his armor bearer said to him, well, do all that's in your heart for yourself, and I'm with you according to your desire. And Jonathan said, well, behold, we're going to cross over to the men. We're going to reveal ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say come up to us, then we'll go up for the Lord has given him into our hands and this shall be a sign for us. And when both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll tell you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, ah, we got him. And then verse 13, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer behind him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was 20 men within about a half acre And there was a trembling in the camp and in the field among all the people. The garrison, the raiders trembled and the earth quaked. So it became a great trembling. Now Saul's watchman in Gibeah Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude melted away and they went here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, hey, find out who left. And when they numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer weren't there. So Saul said to Hijab, bring the ark of God here for the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. And it happened, while Saul talked to the priest that the commotion in the camp of the Philistines grew and increased, so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people who were with him rallied, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was great confusion. The Hebrews were in the Philistines. Previously went up at the camp, and they began to fight against the bad guys. And then all the men of Israel, verse 22, had hidden themselves in the whole country of Ephraim. heard that the Philistines had fled, and they pursued them closely in battle as well. And there's your primary literature literature. Note in verse 23. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth Haven. Uh you thus reads the word of God. You may be seated. Now, this group uh here with me today, um, and let me reiterate real quick here, 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 you know. We were going to talk about church planning and then after talking with Wayne he said we got to you know we got to hit straight to the heart here. Um so that's what we're doing. The, the group in the room because we're Bible people, I would assume knows the meta narrative behind this story better than most. That that's my assumption. Uh the idea that uh you've got Saul who works as kind of the foil uh, through probably four to five chapters here, a uh, Saul, King Saul, is the, the the people's choice award winner. He's the human king. He's Mister Head and Shoulders above everybody else, right? He's GQ. He's Vidal Sassoon. He's the good-looking one, but he's an absolutely terrible leader. And he stands as kind of the backdrop. Of what chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 is this hopeless and reckless situation, uh, that the Israelites are, are in. Uh, in chapter 13 verse 7, he hides. 13 verse 9, he tries to be a priest when he shouldn't. Verse 22, he hoards the remaining weapons. Uh, in chapter 14 verse 2, which we're gonna look at here, uh, he actually is, is sitting and he's hanging back underneath a pomegranate tree. He's kind of like Sardis. You know, he, he's got the, the He's alive in name, but he's dead in faith. And the nation of Israel is, is squandering under his leadership. And that is in Hebrew when we see the introduction of the new character that comes and stands against the foil of the broken nation under the broken people's king Saul. You see it there in verse one. Now the day came of Jonathan. There's an immediate transition. Uh, And Jonathan rises up off the pages here for a split second before his death. And of course, David will be the one who takes the main stage uh, as a, a protagonist against his father. In fact, look in verse 1 at the very end there. It came about that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, let's cross over to the Philistines' garrison on the underside. side, and look at that little statement there given us by the author, but he did not tell his father. (laughs) It's kind of like he goes, if I were to tell my dad, I know what my daddy's going to say. My daddy, he sits on his little throne. My daddy's back there under the pomegranate tree. My daddy doesn't have any guts to come out and fight. My daddy won't let me go. So I'm going to go out and take the fight to the enemy. And this in my study is what I... In fact, if you have a pen, you can even put this in your margin. Uh, I stole this from one of my professors uh, and, and I really i thought it was good. This is where we see, number one,
1: what I'm calling the initiative of faith. The initiative of faith. You see, Johnny didn't go and get the army. Johnny didn't go and go
0: to his his father for help. Instead, Johnny said, I've been able to read the records for myself. And I've read about a man named Samson. And I've read about a man named Ehud. And I've read about a man named Shamgar who... Jonathan, as a military guy would know, was able to slew 600 Philistines with only an ox goat, a little pointer stick with a knife on the end of it. And he, somewhere in his mind, he takes the stories from his youth, the stories that Saul, Samuel, had heard from Samuel and shut down. He grabs onto,
1: and he says, huh, if Shamgar could do it, maybe I can too. And something creeps into his mind.
0: About the truth of God's word that drives him to step out in faith. I'd like to slide that over here to 2019 for us, friends. Uh, Brothers, I know some of you are pastors. I know some of you are missionaries. I know some of you um, are, are, are simply members and attendees at a church. But let me slide that over here for a second. We must remember that when things have gotten static and slow and the fight seems to be gone. From our, our our leaders. If we continue to do what we always did, we're always gonna get what we always got. Somebody has got to have the initiative to say, I have read about my God
1: and I believe he can do it again. Look what he says in verse two. Saul is staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate
0: tree. See, there he is. There's big man. There's big man. There's Head and Shoulders. There's Vidal Sassoon. There's GQ. And the people with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitab. And now, now if you've got a pen, can you just circle or underline each of these names? I mean, let's just say it's Samuel writing this. And Samuel is making a point. Do you see his point? Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichapod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing his ephod. Now, now you'll remember there that in the book of Samuel early on, God had already indicted Eli's line saying, you are not going to continue in this post. You failed me. Your boys failed me. You're out. And, And the author goes back and he grabs that line and he says, now here's the fancy pants line sitting with their ephods, acting religious under the pomegranate tree in order to make a point. Look at verse three or verse four. The people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. So Fancy Pants and these guys are sitting there with their religious coats on and they're looking important. Meanwhile, Jonathan takes off. And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag. I love how often he just... Remember, in Hebrew, we're looking for repetitive words. There's a crag on one side. And there was a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozaz. And the name of the other, Cena. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash and the other crag on the south opposite Diba. So Jonathan, looking at this crag, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Keyword: you got a pen out, circle it. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to save by many. Or I you. Interesting, isn't it? You got the cowardly ephod boys sitting with their frozen in nerves and their fancy pants under the pomegranate trees. Discussing all of the reasons that, that they can't do something. And what does Jonathan do? He goes back to the word of God. He grabs his armor bearer, his friend in God. And he says, let's let dad sit under the pomegranate tree and you and I are going to strike out, not talk about what we can't do. We're going to talk about what God can do. And I call this one, if you're still taking notes there, I call this not only the initiative of faith, but here
1: in verse six and seven, I call it the imagination of faith. Did you catch the word that he used? The word perhaps. And it's kind of the key to the whole story. Perhaps, Jonathan doesn't have a faith, as was mentioned earlier by one of
0: the men, that presumes upon God, it's not one of those naive, I'll do it and he's going to, kind of an existential prosperity gospel that we get ourselves into. It's going to happen. If I name it, I'm going to claim it. He has a an understanding and a faith in the providence of God, and here's the key, that says, I know my God is powerful, But I do not necessarily know if it is my God's pleasure. I know my God's power, but that doesn't mean that I know my God's pleasure. But I will step out in faith and do the right thing even if I die. Even if I die trying, I'm going to die trying. Because I'm going to stand and I'm going to honor
1: the word of my God. The name of my God. And I'm going to let no one stand and mock him. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're, you're, we're, we're Bible people, right?
0: So I know you're already beginning in your mind, probably to picture a few other people
1: throughout the Bible who made very similar declarations to this. Weren't there three other Hebrew boys? Probably about the same age. Some 400 years later who
0: were also under a test, this time by flaming fire. And a king warned
1: them, I'm going to throw you into the fire and you're going to die. And yet, what did those three young boys say? Yes, our God may save us.
0: Our God can save us. But if he does not, O king, understand that we will not serve your gods. Or maybe a thousand years later, you remember the protege looks looked at his little boy And what does he say to him or his young man in
1: the faith? He says to him, listen, young man, let no one look down on your youthfulness. But
0: in speech and in conduct and in love, faith and purity, show yourself an example to those who would believe. Some of your minds may even already be going even further along to hebrews chapter 11 what a fascinating chapter that is right the heroes of faith by faith abraham by faith moses by faith Rahab, by faith the walls of jericho fell and then do you remember though there's that weird little turning point around 35 36 37 the verses when all of a sudden it says oh but then there was the others you remember the
1: others what happened to them and I got sawn in two, stuffed in logs. heads taken off. This, friends, is saying, I don't know for sure what my God is going to do, but I know for sure that I'm going to go fight for his honor. Reminds me a little bit of um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You you may even remember
0: uh, when he was at Flossenburg and he was about to die. The Nazi doctor who
1: oversaw his death said, I have never seen ever a man die with such peaceful submission to God. Which takes so many of Bonhoeffer's quotes and pulls them out of the abyss and makes
0: them so meaningful. For example, the one famously when he said, if you're on the wrong train. There's no reason to run down the aisle trying to go the other way.
1: Think about what he's saying there. What's he saying? Get on the right train and let her rip. See, as Bible
0: church men and as Bible church women, you know what we're on? The right train. We hold the right doctrine. We hold the right theology. We hold the right ministry methodology. We need to take a moment, get honest and say, since we're on the right train, let's rise up with an initiative of faith. Let's take back the imagination of what God could do. And let's let her rip.
1: Let's take a shot again. Let's go for broke again. Let's go fight again. Which, of course, leads here. In verse eight. To
0: this magic moment when Jonathan says, well, behold, I know what we're going to do. I've got a plan. We're going to cross over to the men and we're going to reveal ourselves to them. And if they say, well, wait, you stay there and we're going to come down and we're going to stand in our place. And then when they come down, we'll take care of them. Verse 10. But if they say, well, you come up to us, then we're going to go up and we're going to climb that crag for the Lord has given them into our hands. It's going to be a sign for us. And when both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines, I love this, they said, behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and they said, come up to us and we'll tell you something. I mean, you love the pedantic kind of treating them like a like a child. Come on up. We've got a secret for you. And Jonathan looks over at his armor bearer. I love it. You just picture you picture these guys. They're rolling with their, you know, twenty inch biceps and their swords. These are killing machines. And he smiles at him through his browned
1: and broken teeth. And he says to him, Let's go. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed
0: on his hands and feet with his armored bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armored bearer puts some to death, and the first slaughter is a 20 men and a half acre, 14,000 square feet. So picture these two buildings right here. It's like a Mortal Combat scene. It's like a video game. And there's a trembling in the camp. And notice the repetitive trembling. God apparently began to quake the ground. He joins his man in this moment and he begins to quake the ground almost as a signature of this man's beautiful faith and of his timing. Now, 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 Bergen, And a few other scholars, let's just be honest here, say this might have been part of what's in ancient times called the divine motif. Where Jonathan says, my God versus your God. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up and we're just going to have it out. I don't think so, though. And if you've ever talked to policemen or military strategists, they could sometimes suggest that what is really happening here is a kill zone. Jonathan, as a witty strategist, says, if you want to come down, remember it was crag, 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 crag. In fact, Captain Condor felt that he had found the actual perpendicular crag by Bozaz, and you can actually go and visit and see probably where Jonathan made the climb. And it was so small that if these 20 guys came down, they would just lop them off one by one. But by the time they got up there, these guys were so relaxed, they would know they could ambush them and it would be over.
1: So possibly this is not about the divinity. What about, here we go, ready? Number four. This is about the intentionality of faith. You have the initiative of faith. You've got the imagination of faith. And now you have the intentionality of faith. What Johnny's saying is he looks at his buddy and he goes, hey, what? God gave us a mind. God gave us a sword. Let's go use it for His glory. I've got a plan. Question. Non-rhetorical. Can you think of anybody in the New Testament who was an absolutely proficient planner? Non-rhetorical. Hint. And you think of one man that no matter how many providential issues he
0: had, detours he had, miracles God did, he still would always go into every city with basically the exact same game plan for massive conversion. Acts 13, 13. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch and on the Sabbath day went into the what? The synagogue. Acts 14.1, it came about that in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Acts 17.1, when they traveled through Amphiopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them again and again and again. I mean, you just, just keep reading through Acts. Paul, no matter what the changes were, said, this is the plan that I can use to reach the most people in the city. It is remarkable, by the way, that into Timothy, before he dies, He actually says to him, I want you to endure hardship. Remember that whole section there. Preach the word in season and out of season. You're going to have people in their ears tickle. You go in and I want you to try to save them. And I want you to work with them. And what for you, Timothy? How do you know you finished the race? How do you know you fulfilled your ministry? He says you endure hardship. And then what? You do the work of an evangelist. Interesting, you never can take out the evangelistic effort, the desire to reach more souls and say that you have fulfilled your ministry. Part of fulfilling the ministry is constantly doing the work to harvest more souls. Therefore, the plan to harvest more souls, the plan to reach more souls, is part of finishing the race well. Paul was a master plan. And he expected his young men to be master planners and to be aggressive in their tactics in order to finish the race
1: well. We're not allowed to quit. Go, "I, I endured hardship. I held to the truth. But drop off the zeal to keep reaching more souls. It's the heartbeat of Paul. It's the heartbeat of the Bible. Reminds me a little bit of if you've ever heard of Abraham Lincoln's
0: resume. Listen to this. It's a fascinating resume. 1831, failed in business. 1832, defeated for legislature. 1833, failed in business. 1835, sweetheart died. 1836, nervous breakdown. 1838, defeated for speaker. 1840, defeated for elector. 1843, defeated for Congress. 1846, elected to Congress. 1848, defeated for Congress again. 1855, deleted for Senate. 1856, defeated for VP. 1858, defeated for Senate. 1860, finally elected president.
1: Changes how we view his famous quote, I do the best I can, and I keep doing the best I can. It's not okay to say, I did the best I could. God's man continues to say, I will keep doing the best I can. I'm not done until the grave. Which, of course, leads to verse 16. You see it there? You've got the initiative of faith, which leads to the imagination
0: of faith, which leads to the intentionality of faith, which leads to, I'll just give it away early, the inspiration of faith. Look what faith does to the nation. Saul's watchman in Gibeah, Benjamin, looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. And they went here and there, and Saul said to the people who were with him, "Uh, Find out who went. Go number everybody. They came back and said, Well, it's Jonathan. And Saul's funny. He goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. And then there's a big explosion in the camp. And then he says, well, put the Ark of the Covenant away. This guy can't get his act together. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And the Hebrews who were with the Philistines, verse 21, they turned around and started fighting. Verse 22, the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, they heard what was happening and they came and rallied. And of course, it culminates in verse 23. The Lord delivered Israel that day and the battle spread beyond Beth Haven. I mean, this
1: one man's faith inspires a nation to rally. One man ignored stale religion. One man remembered
0: God's word. One man refused to settle. One man climbed the crag and he was the instrument of God's
1: revival. Faithful men continue to climb crags. And
0: and as I've talked with President Wilson and and I've talked with many of you and as I've traveled the country and met with so many of our IFCA guys, I think we're all starting to get honest that for some
1: reasons, We have begun sitting under pomegranate trees. Let me share a few of them with you. These are just coming from you.
0: These are not mine. These are coming from you. You've shared these with me. Men around the country have shared
1: these with me. Maybe it chimes in your heart. Uh, Number one, some of the reasons that I'm hearing people are sitting under pomegranate trees is peck. Especially in Southern California, due to the high cost of living,
0: many of our brothers in ministry are having to work two, if not three jobs, and their wives are working two, if not three jobs. And they simply don't have the energy left to
1: prioritize a faithful, big-time emphasis on their local church anymore. That's just an honest reality. Here's another one. Health. So many of our men are getting older, and they've had a diagnosis or a prognosis in their own life or in their wife's life, and their energy and attention is being put on their spouse or on trying to get better, and they're unable to put the energy into the local church anymore. There's another one. Retirement. I've talked to many members of our organization and our family. That have said, honestly, I've got to hold on to the few
0: people I have left. And I've got to sell off some property. Because other than this little church that I'm in my fourth quarter. I'm in my fourth quarter and outside of this little church.
1: I've got no means for providing income in my final years on planet Earth. Here's another one. Spouses. This one's heartbreaking. I repeatedly have met with men who are ready to climb a crag. Ready to
0: take a young man and us help transition him into a church to revitalize it. And he's with me until he goes home and talks to his wife. In fact, I had one wife who told her man, she called his manhood into question. And she questioned his very calling because he was honest with her that the church had shrunk to one person. That one person had died. He was preaching to no one. And she said, Well, then, are you not
1: a called minister of the gospel if you hand this church off to a younger man? How easy it is in a culture of feminism for a lady behind the scenes to prompt a man to strangle a church to death instead of rebirthing it into new life. Here's another one. Pay, health, retirement, spouses, leaders. I honestly could not tell you how many churches I've talked to where there was one or two old patriarchal leaders who enjoyed the 1970s and 80s so much. You apparently have a few of them in your church. That they are willing to strangle that church to death as home as pioneers. And then, ward off the vision and the hope and the joy of the new homesteaders who want to come and plant their flag in that ground. These pioneers said, "This is our land Here's another one, the last one society by far the most the biggest issue that i I, I hear from people is you ready in quote millennials." You. We don't know how to reach him. We don't know how to teach him.
0: And then when we finally do get one and we put energy into him, he's gone or she's gone
1: to the megachurch in a month. Pay and health. And retirement and spouses and leaders in
0: society and all of those, I could say I could give you some positives on the other side. Certainly there are men who are working three jobs and they're giving their all for Christ. Certainly there are men who are struggling with health, but they're standing up to the fourth quarter and they're taking this thing home, baby. Certainly there are men who say, I don't care if I have retirement or not, I'm not done. Certainly, there are spouses more than not who get behind their husband and say, I'm with you till death do us part. Certainly there are leaders in churches who, no matter what age, understand that if someone had to reach them early, then they wouldn't be there. Therefore, they're going to give and they're going to love to do the same thing. And certainly there are men who still believe that God's arm is not too weak in order to reach the millennials. Gen Y, Gen Z and Gen 1 and Gen 2 and Gen whatever letter comes after it because God is not done. So it's not to say in the IFCA these men don't exist. What I'm saying is, is that more and more these are the excuses that are coming out. What I'm asking of us as IFCA is to say no more excuses. We're throwing
1: them out with the garbage. And we're going to climb the crag again. And even if we die trying, we're climbing this crag. And so as I talked to, to, to President Wilson, here's, here's kind of what we came up with.
0: I I, I made it an acronym because that's what preachers do. I felt it was easily memorable. So if you got a pen, just write a few things down. Here's a real-life action plan that we can do as a a Southern California regional to reinvigorate life and to step out in faith again. I put it in the acronym CLIMB. How's that? How's that? CLIMB. And if you want me to send this to you, send out a newsletter or an email or whatever, we can do it. Number one, C. C. We're going to clarify our message. We're going to clarify our message Uh, for President Wilson. Our Orange County crowd, NBC, our little group down there is going to help identify and clarify the vision uh, and the uh, brand identity of what Southern California Regional and IFCA is all about. We're going to what is actually our, our our goal, our mission, and our vision, and how clearly can people understand it? So that's C. That leads right into L. Ready? So C is clarify the message. L is lean into technology. Richard Vargas is doing this for the National, uh, and President Wilson has asked that we do this for <coughs> the Southern California Regional. So NBC is going to fund and develop a, a new web platform that highlights the scope and the scale of our regional. And so you can, with one click, the next generation with one click, and say, here's what they do, uh, here's what they're about, here's how exciting it can be, here's the vision, here's the future. So clarify the message, lean into technology, here's the eye. Invest in young leaders. We're going to provide forums so that interns at our partner seminaries like Master Seminary or SoCal Seminary in San Diego can come and get real world life experience and experience what ministry is meant to be. Uh, and that way we're raising up a group of young men who, number four, this is the M, to so clarify the message, lean into technology, invest in young leaders, And then number four is,
1: this is the big one for our group today, mediate healthy transitions. Mediate healthy transitions. If any of our IFCA churches are hurting, which some of them are,
0: maybe you're here and you're going, my church is hurting. My wife and I, she can pinch you on the leg. You can hold her hands. We're hurting. We're not making it. Uh, We want to be the association that comes in, and here's the key, helps there be a win-win. And President Wilson's going to take the lead on this. A win-win. Where number one, we help find a biblical, seminary-trained young church planner who is willing to come in. Number two, help work with your church to ensure, here's the key, you have a pension or a future. Some of our older men are going, listen, I want there to be young leadership. I want there to be discipleship. I want there to be a future. But I'm fearful that if I let go and this is all that I have, I'm going to be hanging out without a rope. We want to help make sure that happens. Young leader comes in, works with you. We provide a pension so that you have a future as you transition out. Number three, then that community of faith is able to have 50 more years of generational IFCA leadership that can take it into the future. And that community, here's the key, doesn't lose that footprint for the glory of God. We cannot sell off any more of our buildings that were purchased in the 40s and 50s and 60s back to the prince of the power of the air. In our California culture, we are never going to be able to raise $9 million, none of our churches, in order to buy that land back. So once we give up the land that ethically somebody else purchased, we can have peace in mind at night knowing that we took that footprint and we gave it a rebirth and one day we can stand before the Lord in heaven 2 Corinthians five ten and say, I was not here to end the ride of a church. I was here to transition the ride of a church into its new day. That is what God's men do. Uh, Mark Dever apparently in a video and y'all you know Mark the Nine Marks said something like some men are called to kill churches or some men are called Miguel. Can you help me with the quote? Some men are called to. The last pastor of a church, but he used a stronger terminology, the, 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 the bury a church or something. Some men are called to that. I I I I, I don't know the context, but I couldn't disagree with Mark Moore on that. I'm going to give him a leeway because I wasn't there and we can't find the quote. We can't find the video. It's coming from Miguel. So if he comes after me, I'm going after you. But, but let me just say, I don't believe it. It's any man's job to go, well, I'm the guy that's going to bury it. I believe that some men are called to rebirth the churches. To reinvigorate the churches. Even if that means they look in the mirror and they say, it's not me, it's this guy. Here it is. I'm behind you to the end. And then ethically they get to stand before the Lord and they get to say, I was a part of transitioning your beautiful bride to its new season of existence. So we're going to clarify the message. We're going to lean into technology. We're going to invest in young leaders. We're going to mediate healthy transitions. We want to partner with you. And then number five, the long term, is we're going to build a scalable model. That's the B. We're going to build a scalable model. Each new church project that we work on is going to donate 5% of its proceeds from inception back into the new church fund. That way... We have a sustainable growth model and a new generation of IFCA churches for years and years and years to come. Every church that gets planted, pours 5% of the offering back in. Next church that it plants, force 5% back in. And that way, we as a coalition have a future with churches uh, on into our children's and our grandchildren's generation. Now, here's here's really the action item on this today. Number one is tell your friends, tell everybody, anybody in our family, say, listen, IFCA is ready to climb the crag with you. They're ready to help. They're ready to make this happen. And you you that's, you thats tell everybody. Number two, though, is some of you may be sitting here and you're going, man, I am burned out. I am tired out. I am at the end. I'm in the fourth quarter of the race. My church doesn't seem to be thriving. Just simply in your
1: mind, decide right now, I'm going to go to President Wilson and I'm going to tell him I'm ready to climb a track. I'm ready to step out in faith. I'm ready to take a step. I'm going to go out swinging.
0: And maybe some husbands and wives need to pinch each other's little leg right now or grab hands. And by grabbing hands, what you're saying is, is we're taking a step of faith together. You walk up to Wayne and you say, Wayne, we're ready to climb the crag. And Pastor Wayne and Dr. Montoya and so many others have promised that they will be here to help it
1: be a win-win for you, for the new church, but also for the glory of an amazing God. That's what we're about. So that's it. Climb. Um, I'm going to give the
0: call, and then I'm going to trust that <clears throat> Wayne. You can do all the work. And uh, of course, you know uh, we have the rest of the morning to stick around. If you guys want to answer, que- ask questions, we can.
1: Um, and uh, I'm sure that that President Wayne will be willing to do that. Uh, let me go ahead and just close with this. How am I doing? Aha. You see that?
0: Four minutes. I didn't plan to say this, but I'm looking at, at Ryan Day. <clears throat> Ryan Day over here with the the, t- the tattoos and the tough guy is a former military guy, and um and uh, you know M- Miguel is an SBC convert that I'm you know trying to win over here to IFCA. This is real Bible, and <clears throat> we have another guy from from Compass, uh, Jesse, who couldn't be here, he's having a baby today uh, or tomorrow, and so he couldn't be here. Another Orange County guy. Let me tell you about Ryan real quick. Ryan, uh, like me, comes out of the, the mega church world. He was an independent Christian church, restoration church guy. And then he was with Calvary Chapel.
1: Um, <clears throat> so he's repented of such sins. He was with Calvary Chapel. Um, and
0: I don't know the details of the story, but there was a day or a week or a
1: period of time when suddenly his eyes were opened up to the simple reality that you must teach all of God's truth. Just leave it at that. And he
0: went he was serving at a large Calvary Chapel church. I think it was a youth ministry, sounds right,
1: uh, or college ministry. And he just started preaching the full council of God. And, uh And I think you were fired within a year. Is that about right? Oh, seven years. No, oh, you made it longer than I did. He makes
0: it seven years uh, back and forth back and forth with leadership,
1: uh, and they eventually let him go uh, and He went and started preaching in his his daddy's backyard, and sixty people started showing up in daddy's backyard because they simply wanted the full counsel of God's word and When Ryan was looking for a family, he said, "I just need a family." It's not about being hip, and it's not about being cool. It's a family that cares about the full counsel of God's word. So we got to know one another. And Here's the reason I bring Ryan up. This was a man who had a full-time job in a beautiful South County, Orange County church. And he cared so much about God's word. That he was willing to climb the crag. And now God is blessing that church and growing that church. They have their own building. They're looking at maybe getting another one. He just met with a friend of ours about raising money to purchase a facility. It doesn't mean that life is easy. But it means that so often, God takes our faithfulness. And he allows us to look back on the journey and say, I would have it no other way. That's my prayer for us. That we're willing to take the shot. To throw the deep ball. To step out in faith. And look back five years or seven years from now and say, I'd have it no other IFCA can offer people something no one else can. A group. It preaches the full ounces of God's word. What else would you want to fight and die for, right? Heavenly Father, I, we thank you for who you are, for who your Son Jesus is, for the work of the Holy Spirit, and for your word. And I I pray that for my friends and family who I'm here with today, that the things that we're talking about would be, although honest and somewhat convicting and even at times emotional, that You would allow each of my my brothers and sisters to walk from here motivated and encouraged. That a fire would be sparked. I pray that they wouldn't walk away discouraged. Or confused. I pray that they would walk away enthused. And that they would see you in an even greater light. That I, that we, would all see you in an even more marvelous light. That your providences are always perfect. The people and the timing.
0: And that as we entrust
1: ourselves to what you may do. And we entrust ourselves to who you are. You will honor faithfulness. So bless the decisions, bless the choices that come out of today, bless the guts that come out of today, and help us birth a new day of churches that preach the full counsels so of your. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.